I'm so grateful that you're here today. It's almost Christmas. Can you believe it? It happens so quickly. Uh, every year that I age, it seems that Christmas gets here even faster. And I, I want that to stop, but it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. So I guess we'll just live with it. We're in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1. Last week, we preached just one verse. Matthew 1, 1, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we were, we were reminded that God the Father is good on his promise to send his promised son. Not just any son, but the son who would be his Messiah, the son who would be son of David, and the son who would be son of Abraham. Now this morning, we're going to dive a bit more deeply into the genealogy that follows. Matthew endeavors to prove to us that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And there's much that we can learn from this genealogy, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover it all this morning. I mean, I'll stay after if you'd like, and we could order pizza and, and go through all of that. But I'm just going to make three observations from the genealogy this morning. But first, we're going to read it. We're actually going to read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. Verse 9. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abahud, and Abahud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for showing your faithfulness to us in even this record of names. Lord, you've given us your perfect word. You've shown yourself to be trustworthy in sending your perfect son. We pray by your grace that you would help us to know how to respond to such an indescribable gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew introduces the birth of Jesus with the genealogy. But the genealogy is not just a recounting of the past. It shapes our expectations for 
the future. It's Matthew's way of foreshadowing the sort of Savior that Jesus is and the sort of mission that he gives to his people. Foreshadowing is a literary technique. The Bible isn't just God's words that are perfect. It's also a book of literature. And Matthew is writing his gospel and he opens by showing us the genealogy and the past, the prelude to Jesus, to show us the sort of Savior that Jesus would be. He's building anticipation in the mind of his readers about what might happen next. I don't know about you, but in the Palmer household where we have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, anticipation is building, right? Uh, we, we did something we've never done before. We took a, a vacation over Thanksgiving, and so that meant we had to get the tree up really early unless we wanted to be in scramble mode when we got back. So the tree's been up in the Palmer household since like November the 20th or something like that, which is killing our kids, right? When is Christmas coming? Right? So the tree's up, the lights are up, and then slowly but surely we've been decorating, getting ready for the, the staff Christmas party we had over the weekend, trying to make the house look nice. We even went out and bought one of those little laser light things that you can shine on your house because I get so tired of light bulbs going out and having to twist up the lights and replace the fuses. And so we bought this little star shine thing. And the first one we bought, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? The laser thing you put on your house? It's amazing. At least it should be amazing. But the first one we got from Target was a dud. It was like you couldn't even see the green lights and you could barely see the red ones. And so got that whole return processed at Target this weekend. And now we have a real kick and light show at the Palmer household. And, and all of this, whether it's the Advent wreath or the lights or the tree or the wrapping of presents at midnight so that your kids don't know that you're wrapping their presents, whatever it is, it's, it's foreshadowing. There's something coming that we should be excited about. There's something coming that we should anticipate. And the genealogy of Jesus is foreshadowing his birth, but not just his birth, but the sort of people who would then be a part of Jesus' family tree on the go forward. Who is it that Jesus came to save? Who is it that he came to die and died to rescue? Sam Alberry says this, Jesus' genealogy includes the outcast, the scandalous, and the foreigner. The family Jesus comes from anticipates, get this, the family he's come for. All in all, David Platt writes, this is one crooked family tree. Yet, this was the family tree through which the incarnate Son of God stepped onto the pages of human history. How is it that we receive the blessing of the forgiveness of our sins mentioned in verse 21? How is it that we then give this same Jesus to the world who desperately needs to know him? I submit to you that this genealogy is showing us many things, but I want to focus on these three things. To extend and receive, or to receive and extend God's salvation through Christ the Son, there's three things we must do. We must understand that Jesus came to use the obscure. We must understand he came to overcome the unrighteousness of the obscene. And he came to include the ethnically diverse. First, we must see that Jesus came to use the obscure. In this genealogy, we find some very significant names. Abraham, Isaac, David, kings are listed. Even King Solomon, who rules over Israel at its greatest geographical extent under one united temple. We see the the rich and the famous in Jesus' genealogy. And if we read it too quickly, we might miss that Jesus has not just come from fame, he's come from obscurity. 
and he's come for the obscure. We see this, for example, in verse 3, where we learn that Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Hezron and Ram? Who in the world are Hezron and Ram? Get out your children's storybook Bible and look for the account of Hezron and Ram and you will search in vain to find it. They are blips on the radar mentioned at the end of Ruth and that is all we get. Other than their names, we know nothing about these men. Hendrickson writes to us, these are merely names. We don't even know whether they were men of untarnished or spotted reputation. To God, however... They were important for the historical accomplishment of his plan to bring the Messiah into the world for man's redemption. So too in the church, there are many who never make the headlines. You might come to North Roanoke your whole life and never make the headlines. Did you know that Jesus can still use you? Yet, though unknown here below, they are well known above. One day it will become evident that the last will be first and the first last. Do you believe that Jesus came for the obscure this morning? Do you believe that Jesus came for the young lady who believes that she's worthless because she goes to a high school every day feeling like that she doesn't look like the cheerleaders? Do you believe that he came for the young man who believes he'll never amount to anything significant because he struggles to learn how to read? Do you believe that he came for the thousands of single moms all around this valley who gave up on their dreams years ago because they're just working two jobs to try to scrape together enough money to provide for themselves and their kids? Do you believe that Jesus really came for the obscure? You see, the obscurity of Hezron and Ram foreshadows that Jesus would rescue and heal the obscure. When Jesus comes, rich young rulers who have everything they need go away sad, but shady and hated tax collectors are welcomed into the kingdom. After Jesus ascends to heaven and sends his Holy Spirit, Peter and John share the gospel with Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders, we learn in Acts 4.13, listen to what it says. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Just a bunch of fishermen, just a bunch of blue-collar workers, just a bunch of people who go to work, punch a clock, and come home, who would never accomplish anything in the world. Once they saw that, they were amazed. At what? They were amazed because God was using these untrained, uneducated, blue-collar men to do amazing things, and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Being with Jesus makes all the difference. It changes everything, even for the obscure, the outmoded, and the outdated, those who feel that they are marginalized and on the sidelines, that they have nothing to offer in the kingdom of God. Jesus indeed adopts them into his kingdom and uses them in mighty ways. When we realize Jesus is everything, we are happy to be nothing as long as we have him. Indeed, Jesus may come to us in our obscurity and in our challenges, and he may leave us in our obscurity and leave us with our challenges, and yet we suddenly find great purpose wherever it is that we happen to be, even if it's obscure, because God has made us obscure that we might rescue the the obscure by being satisfied to have him even in the midst of our obscurity. You see, Jesus brings contentment to the life that's always been lived by comparison to others. 
Whether you're in middle school or high school or college or in your first job or you're 55 years old or older than that. We wrestle with the comparison game. Somebody's got more. Somebody got that promotion. Somebody got that job. Somebody has that skill set. Somebody has this, that, and the other. Jesus brings contentment to the life that's always been lived by comparison to others. Our constant striving for attention and worldly significance to that, Jesus says, whether you live in the spotlight or you live in the shadows, whether you're a King David or a King Solomon or just a Hezron or a Ram, real significance is found in being counted among those who are a part of bringing Jesus to the world. Let me say that again. Real significance. We don't know who Hezron and Ram are. But they're listed in the, na- the, the list of names that gets us to Jesus, the Messiah, Savior of the world. Real significance for you and for me is to be counted among those who we don't even know who they are yet would be listed in the genealogy who brings Jesus to those who do not yet know him. If we're obscure, fine. If we're famous, fine. But God is in the business of rescuing us and even using us in the midst of our obscurity. But Daniel, I I appreciate you saying that God can use me even even in the obscure situation that I find myself in, but, but how do I do that? Y- you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know my failures. You don't know the terrible thoughts that enter my head sometimes. You don't understand how bad I've been. I don't. But you know what I do know? I know the past of many in this genealogy, and it is not pretty. In fact, it's downright obscene. But here's the good news. Jesus came to rescue the unrighteousness of even the wicked, even the obscene. As we review this genealogy, we discover many of Jesus' ancestors are, quote, wicked beyond belief, according to William Hendrickson. Matthew traces the faithful purpose of God in fulfilling his promise despite the rebellion of his people. And if you're this morning hanging on to the seat in front of you, wondering if perhaps today might be the day that you finally give it all over to God and let him wash you clean in the blood of the lamb and you might surrender your life to Christ. If, if you're hanging on to your past and your failure and saying God could never use that, use me because of that in my life, I want you to understand that your past cannot prevent an omnipotent God from having his way in the world. God can override your past. He can overcome your past. Yes, our past comes with consequences, but it doesn't mean that God can't use you in bringing Christ to the world that desperately needs to know that he's come for them. God is in the business of taking those who are sinners and enlisting them in the great program of his salvation to the ends of the earth. I want you to consider a few of the wicked examples in Jesus's genealogy. King Joram, verse 8 did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 2 Kings 8.18 King Ahaz, verse 9, 
did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Listen, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations. And he sacrificed and made offerings to idols on the high places and the hills and under every green tree. 2 Kings 16, 2-4. King Ammon, verse 10. Ammon did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done and served the idols his father had served. 2 Kings 21, 19-21. God can overcome your past in order to bring Jesus the Messiah to a world that desperately needs to know him. Lest we think that the kings are somehow an exception to the rule and that Matthew's genealogy is, is pretty clean other than just a few bad kings here or there. Jesus, in, his, in this genealogy, Matthew includes the names of four women, all of whom are evidently Gentiles with somewhat tawdry pasts. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Do you see that in verse 3? Four times, Matthew just gently drops in by Tamar, by Ruth, by Rahab, and by Bathsheba. Why does he do this? If you go back and reread the genealogy and you just strike out by Ruth, by Rahab, by Tamar, by Bathsheba, the genealogy would flow just like the rest of it does. He didn't need to include these women, but instead he inserts them for a theological purpose. He wants us to understand that Jesus' past includes some pretty horrific stories. You see, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. And it was through sinful incest with Judah, while disguising herself as a woman of the night, a temple prostitute, that she duped Judah into having relations with her that produced Perez and Zerah, their sons. Did you, did you realize that? Perez and Zerah, the offspring of sexual infidelity and incest. You see, Judah had neglected his responsibility to provide a husband for Tamar when his son died. So Tamar went and deceived him and Judah gave in to lust. And that's how we get the offspring that lead us to Jesus. Deceit, lies, lust, sexual immorality. This morning in a crowd this size, there are some who have been deceivers. There are some who have been guilty of lusts and sexual immorality and lies. I dare say between those four sins that some of us fall into at least one of those categories. Did you know that God can deliver you from your past? And still use you in getting his son to a watching world that desperately needs him. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Verse 5. Rahab was a female ancestor of Boaz who then marries Ruth. By Rahab. That name Rahab probably rings a bell. We find her name in Joshua chapter 2. When Joshua sends some spies over into Jericho to see if they can take the promised land and the spies find shelter and protection at whose house? Rahab's house. Rahab risks her life to protect the spies and ultimately joins the Israelites when the walls of Jericho fall down. But before Rahab protected the spies, she had been the prostitute of Jericho. 
Before she risked her life to honor God, she had given her life to the night's highest bidder, night after night after night. Do you believe God can rescue you from your past? By Ruth. To get Boaz's attention, Ruth follows Naomi's advice, puts on her very best, and crawls into Boaz's bed while he's sleeping. An effective strategy to get Boaz's attention, but probably not the most moral one. Do you believe that God can overcome your past? By Bathsheba, verse 6, literally, the text says, the one who had been Uriah's wife. Matthew doesn't even mention Bathsheba's name. Matthew is reminding us of David's adultery with Bathsheba recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11. He's reminding us of David's plan to try and cover his tracks by putting Uriah on the front lines and ensuring his death. Eventually, David marries Bathsheba and they have Solomon. But Matthew reminds us that Bathsheba was Uriah's wife wasn't supposed to be David's wife, he was, she was Uriah's wife. And again, he's reminding us of sexual infidelity, of lust, abuse of power, and even of murder. These unspeakable sins are inescapably a part of Jesus' family tree. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that they are? Aren't you glad that that which Je Jesus comes from foreshadows that which Jesus can overcome. Let me say that again. That which Jesus comes from foreshadows that which Jesus can overcome. Wherever you are this morning, whatever sin pattern you're stuck in, whatever sin pattern you've been running from that you want to lay aside and get over and get beyond, you will never do it in your own strength and in your own power. It will never, ever happen. Oh, you might go for a season, a week or a month or a year, but at some point, sin will rear its ugly head. And Genesis tells us sin desires us. It craves us. It wants to destroy us. But when we surrender our lives to Christ, Christ and give our lives to him, Christ will overcome the sin in your life and then he will enlist you in the greatest mission ever given, getting Jesus to those who need to know this same story. God puts us in his family tree and he shows us that he overcomes our past and then he uses us in getting that same gospel to a world that needs him ever so desperately. Through Jesus, God can overcome the power of the worst sins. He can deliver the worst sinners. And he can use you to get Jesus to the world. Jesus Christ, A.W. Tozer said, knows the worst about you. He knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he's the one who loves you the most. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore because of your past. Let Jesus deliver you from your past. Now let's be clear. He doesn't leave us in our sin pattern. He doesn't ignore it. He gives us the power to overcome it. And then in overcoming it, puts us in his mission of getting this same life-changing, powerful gospel to all nations, which brings us to our final point. 
We see very clearly in this genealogy that Jesus came to use the obscure. He came to deliver the obscene. And finally, he came to include the ethnically diverse. He didn't just come for Jews. He didn't just come for the people who already are North Roanoke Baptist Church. Did you know that? Jesus isn't done adding to our number. He's not done changing and growing and shaping who North Roanoke is as he brings in more obscure people to be a part of us, as he brings in more obscene people to be a part of us, and as he brings in, I pray by God's grace, not just a bunch of white people, and it's okay, you can't do anything about the color of your skin, but I pray he brings red and yellow, black and white, and everything in between because that is, the those are Though Those are the ones for whom Christ has died. Jesus came to rescue people of all nations. You see, the names of the four people, of the four women, in Jesus' genealogy aren't just reminding us that Jesus overcomes our unfaithfulness. They are also reminding us of Jesus' mission to all people. Tamar was not an Israelite. She was likely an Adullamite. Rahab was a Canaanite living in Jericho. Ruth was a Moabite woman. Bathsheba was married to Uriah the Hittite and likely a Hittite herself. Platt summarizes in this way. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth were all Gentile women. Jesus comes from all nations and he comes for all nations. Matthew shows us, Hendrickson writes, that Jewish boasting about Abrahamic descent amounts to unjustifiable glorying in the flesh. It's foolish and wicked. Israel had no reason to be proud of itself. And North Roanoke, we have no reason to be proud of ourselves and our own strength. Our, Our pride is in Christ who has delivered us, who has made us his own, who has conquered our sin and given us the power to live for him because he at the cross defeated sin and its power. He canceled it forever. We live for the glory and the praise of God, which means we don't say things like this. Well, let me tell you, that's not, we've never done that at my church. That's not what we do at North Roanoke. Well, we never thought about it that way. Well, That's not what our program is. As if we've built this system of salvation that is is under the ownership of us. No, it's all of God. It's all of Christ. It all points to Him and it's all open to what Christ would do here at North Roanoke Baptist Church as He continues to bring red and yellow, black and white into our fellowship and save them and deliver them. We are a church that's on mission and there are some things that never change. The gospel never changes. We'll keep preaching the gospel until Jesus returns. But there are some things that might change. And they might change because... We aren't the ones who save. Jesus is the one who saves. And all power and glory and praise goes to the Savior, not to the people that He has saved. Matthew's genealogy destroys the idea that any of us deserves what we have been given in Christ. Matthew's gospel, according to David Platt, teaches us that an emphasis on missions is not just a made-up program. Daniel, why do you talk about all nations all the time? Because it's in the Bible. It's not just a made-up program that man came up with or your pastor came up with. It is all over the Bible. Missions have been the purpose of God from the very beginning of history, with His saving acts culminating in the person and work of Christ. Listen to this. Now, 
all followers of Christ are on a global mission to make this king known among all nations, to spread the gospel of this kingdom at home and among every people group on the planet. At the end of the day, how does God save us? Solely by his sovereign grace. Why does God save us? Ultimately for his global purpose. This is at the heart of Matthew's genealogy and the question becomes for us, how will we respond? Will we be like the Jewish leaders in Matthew's gospel and reject him? Presented so clearly through the genealogy, this is who you've been looking for and they just reject him and walk away. Or will we be like the crowds. Jesus had crowds that followed him everywhere he went. They enjoyed a good show. They enjoyed watching him heal people and then going home and telling people, hey, I saw you, something you wouldn't believe today. Jesus healed some people. And they observed him casually. Perhaps they're like some of you who drift into church and then you drift right back out. You drift in at Christmas and then you drift out till Easter. Will you respond to what Jesus has done The fact that he's come to rescue the obscure and the obscene and people all over the world, no matter what they look like, will you respond to that by being a casual observer or will you go all the way? Will you be a true disciple? Giving your life for the sake of Christ and his gospel, no matter what it costs. Will we, North Roanoke Baptist Church, declare that Christ has come For those who feel like they're marginalized and obscure. Will we give our lives for those who are yet sinners. Who offend us deeply until we realize that their sin is the same sin that we had that God has overcome. And will we be a part of building for the sake of our king. The most most ethnically diverse community that the world will ever know. The kingdom of God. Some of you have been in some very diverse places. I lived in Raleigh and I was a minority in my neighborhood. There were more uh, Latinos and African Americans than there were Caucasians in my neighborhood. Here in the Roanoke Valley, there's a lot more than just Caucasian people. There's African Americans, there's Indians, there's Vietnamese, there's Latinos, and many other categories of people that I'm, I'm not listing this morning. But they're all around us here in the Roanoke Valley. Did you know? That more diverse than the United States military, more diverse than the melting pot of the United States of America, that God is building a kingdom that is the most diverse community that the world will ever know, and it is the community that will never die. That community is what I want as best as we are able for North Roanoke Baptist Church five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now to look like. Red, yellow, black, white, everybody in between. I want us to be people who have been rescued by Jesus. And so when you think about North Roanoke Baptist Church and you go on Facebook and you brag about your church, whatever it is you say about your pastor, your staff, your church, what I hope you will say more than anything else is we are a church that worships the King. We are a church that serves the King who came to rescue the people who feel like they've been sidelined and marginalized and they're obscure. We are a church that worships the King who came to deliver the obscene from their obscenity and to rescue them from the power of sin in their life and deliver them into a mission that will endure forever. And we are a part of a church that though we are mostly white right now, we're not satisfied. 
we have a holy dissatisfaction with the fact that there aren't more people who don't look like us here today. And we will not give up, no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, in bringing the gospel to people of all nations, every tribe, every tongue, and every language, because he is the king, and he has enlisted us in growing his kingdom, and we are delighted and pleased to give our lives for the cause of Christ. So I invite our instrumentalists to come, and we're going to sing as we close for the cause. I don't know where you are this morning, what your need is this morning. Maybe you're a young lady who's in high school or middle school and you're struggling with issues of body image and all the rest and you need to run to Jesus the Savior and understand that no matter how obscure you feel, Christ delights to use the obscure. Some of you this morning are trapped in a pattern of sin that you can't escape. You've tried. You've tried everything. You've tried to have your devotions. You've tried coming to church. You've tried talking to people about it who will protect your privacy and not advertise it to the world. You've tried everything except laying down your life for the sake of the king who left the glories of heaven to lay down his life for you. You need to come. And finally, There's a lot of us in here who've been holding back. There's, there's an area of your life, you know what it is, I don't, where Christ is saying, give it up, surrender it, give it all over for the sake of Christ the King. Go all in for the sake of Christ the gospel and the upbuilding of his kingdom. Some of you this morning, you don't need to come forward. You just need to sing to the top of your lungs as your Holy Spirit-induced response to God is, God, I want to be used as a consecrated vessel, giving myself all out sacrificially for the cause of Christ and the expansion of the kingdom until he comes. I don't know what your need is this morning, but whatever it is, we invite you to sing or to come accordingly. Would you sing?